Black culture feeds fashion, but fashion doesn't always feed black creatives. I mean, only 7.3% of American fashion designers are black. So McDonald's is pairing five rising black designers with five fashion insiders for career-changing mentorships and the access they deserve. Because we can do better than 7.3. Together, we can change the face of fashion. Follow their journey on Instagram at wearegolden. Statistics source from Zipia.com as of 2021. Macy's is celebrating Pride by continuing our year-round support for LGBTQ creators, brands, and causes. Top brands such as Daymoda, Leota, Skin Muse, Earth's Nectar, non-gender specific Michael Aram, and more. There's so many great options, from the most vibrant clothes to luxurious skincare to elegant home goods and so much more. Also, from June 1st through the 30th, you can join Macy's and The Trevor Project and help provide life-saving suicide prevention and crisis intervention services that support LGBTQ plus young people. Shop LGBTQ-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherston Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. In this special episode, I'm in the hot seat. Last summer, I was invited to an in-person Trials to Triumphs event by my friend, Jennifer Pauline, founder of With Creators at The Gathering Spot in Los Angeles. Jennifer asked me about my journey to get to where I am today. We recorded the live event, and this is the episode you're about to hear. I told Jennifer in our live audience about moving to Los Angeles to pursue acting back in 2010. I was so eager to catch my big break and my very first agent gave me some valuable advice. I didn't know then how much her words would ring true in the years to come. She said, remember, it's an uphill battle. But she was right. That was like some of the best advice I ever got because at times I do feel stagnant. I feel like I want to be moving faster. I have to remember that It's uphill though. She didn't say prepare yourself for a downward slope. She said it's an uphill battle. Today, these words continue to ground me whenever things begin to feel difficult. My path has never been linear. There have been many twists and turns, but I've discovered my trials have perfectly positioned me to become the woman I am today. It was in this season of my uncertainty and questioning that I created this podcast. So if I have any advice for my listeners, it's that sometimes your greatest trials help birth your greatest triumphs. Keep pressing forward. What's on the other side is going to be worth it. After the credits, I share the literary icon I can imagine sitting down with me and Jennifer Pauline. Stay tuned for that. Good evening. Okay, that was, that was kind of okay. I'm gonna do it one more time. Good evening. Okay, yes, energy. We love energy. This is so exciting. It's very exciting, JP. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. You are one of the most 
purpose-driven people that I know, man, woman, otherwise, you are one of the most profound speakers. You are one of the most intentional people that I know. You speak life into people. And I am just honored to be sitting here with you as not only my friend, but someone that I look to as a source of inspiration and someone who really is living the highest version of themselves. So I appreciate you. Thank you, JP. Thank you. So let's start. I want to go back, 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 back. Okay. I read somewhere that you started acting at four. Mm-hmm. I could be told. Okay, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Okay, give us the tea. Like, how did that even begin? What was the, I mean, I'm sure you can remember that moment, but tell us about that experience and what you wanted as a four-year-old. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, the Ashley you all see now I came out the womb that way. Like, I have just always... I'm a very consistent person, but um, when I was young, I was really inspired to be an artist and an actor because of my older sister. She was, mm. we're nine years apart, and she was in all the pageants and the plays and all of the things, and I was like, I want to do what she's doing. <laughs> and of course, my parents were like, okay. Um, and so when I was in Montessori school for preschool, there was a play, and I auditioned for it, which is like crazy, like four-year-olds auditioning for plays. Like, it seems... <laughs> A little, but what did your, I mean, but this you is were the tea. four and this you went to your parents and said, I want to be, I mean, yeah, 1000%. Like I, I was the kid that was like in first grade, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? People are like, police officer, doctor, yeah. teacher. And I was like, actor, <laughs> like, in like clear in an actory voice. <laughs> I yeah. I was doing that at six years old, but I did my first play when I was in Montessori school and I, I mean, I was bit by the bug. Like, I took mm. it so seriously, even at that young of an age. I was cast as a bit of a villain. And uh, the play was The Three Billy Goats Grew Up. And if you guys know the story, there's, <laughs> there's the trolls under the bridge. And I was cast. I was cast as, like, one of the main trolls. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't like the trolls. They're not nice. They're, they're saying mean things. Yeah. And I, I went home to my dad and was like, dad, I don't, I don't want to be a troll. And he was like, what? That's a lead role. What do you mean? And I was like, yeah. I was like, dad, I, I just don't. Even then, it just mm-hmm. didn't resonate with yeah. me. And like, I, I'm still really big about like, if it doesn't mm. resonate with me, like, and even the times that I try to do it, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like it really has to Everything I do has to really sit in my body. And my earliest recollection of that was doing that play. And so ultimately, I declined the role as the troll. At four. I respectfully passed. At four. I did. And wow. I was cast as an inanimate object. I ended Stop up it. being, I was, I was like a, I think I was like a flower or something like that, or a tree. And I was just up there like, but I was Stop happy it. and I wasn't trolling anybody. Yeah. And so I was, it was, I was happy about it. It was fine. Stop it right now. It's a true story. It's a very true story. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. This Black Music Month, State Farm wants to take a moment to recognize the undeniable cultural influence of Black musicians, composers, singers, and songwriters. From folk music to rock and roll, jazz, and more, Black culture has shaped almost every genre of music that exists today. 
Join State Farm in celebrating this month and beyond. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But that just says so much to me that at four years old, you were that clear. Like, and it, it speaks to who you are right now. So you've always been the same person. So, okay, four years old, you're in the Montessori play. And then what? Because I know that in high school, you were in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Okay, give it to us. I mean, yeah. So in high school, I was the kid that was like doing everything. I was SGA historian. So my friends know, like I, if you need a picture of something from... <laughs> 15 years ago, I've got it. I, you know, I think my camera roll has like 40,000 pictures on it because I refuse to not have all of the memories of my life with me at all times. I like can't let it go. Um, but yeah, in high school, I was like SGA historian. I was the first black Miss Quince Orchard, which is my high school. So I was the first black pageant queen of my school. I was um, in the choir. I was in the, the plays. I was a spring cheerleader. I was also mm. on the step team. So I, all the things I do now, I was doing then too, basically. Stop it right I now. I told you I'm consistent. You are very yeah, consistent. Yeah, I'm very consistent. But I, I even knew, I started acting professionally when I was 14, I think. I got a manager. She was like, <laughs> she was Laura on Family Matters manager. And I was like, oh, mom. I'm going to be a star. If I have the same, if I have the same manager as Laura Winslow, like, I mean, come on, uh, let's sell the house and move to LA. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Which I also did in middle school. I like made a petition for my parents, pros and cons as to why we should move to LA. Of course, there were way more pros and cons. And they looked at me and were like, are you insane? you're finishing school and you're going to college and we can talk about it later. But I tried, I wanted to be on Bug Juice, which was on Disney. So I've always wanted to be on TV, but when I was in high school, I started acting professionally and was doing a lot of local theater. I was doing like industrial films. And so I was like the kid in high school that was like, you know, I had a half days because I had to go to tech rehearsal. So you yeah. were really committed to your craft. Oh, yeah. Early on. Yeah, and I decided really early on that I wanted to go to school for acting too. So mm-hmm. I always knew that... I wanted to get a degree in acting as well. And so that led you into Howard. Yeah. So once you got through Howard, was that when you made the decision to officially move to L.A.? Um, No, it was not when I got through Howard. I made the decision well before I got through Howard. I knew before I got to Howard I was going to move to L.A. You you just, that was it. This is where you were going to be. Howard was like, yeah, something I had to do. Yeah, it was like four years that I just had to get through. (laughs) And I had a blast. It's not to say that I didn't have a blast, but... I was trying to get it popping in LA. I was trying to, you know, be Laura Winslow. You know, I was still like, I was still chasing that. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, and so much so like to that point, I moved to LA eight months after I graduated. Like it was that, like I, I moved to LA with like $2,000 or something. Like it was insane. I was not prepared at all. My God sister who, who lived uh, in LA at the time getting her PhD was over for Christmas. My mom's mm. birthday is the day after Christmas, so we always do like a thing at the house. And I was like moping around the house, like, I just want to move to LA. Like, I was miserable. I was like on the YBF every day and like boss up and just like... <laughs> concrete loop. Yeah, concrete loop. Ugh, I just was like looking at all these people living their fabulous lives in LA being like, why am I sitting here in Rockville, Maryland? I don't understand. Um... 
And so I was moping around the house and you know, complaining about how I wanted to move to LA. And she was like, oh, you can, you can live with me. And I was like, huh? Stop it. Girl, you know I've been trying to move to LA. What? You're like, my bag is packed. Yeah. And I, no lie, she said that. I went upstairs. Stop it. Bought a one-way ticket for $98, which I still have on Delta. And that was on December 26th. 2009, mm-hmm. and I was in LA February 1st, 2010. Like, Ready. I was out. I was Ready. like, bye. But, yeah. like, moving across the country, especially back then, there was no Instagram, there was no Uber, there was no, like, anything to kind of supplement your income. So, you came here with no plans, just a big dream of being the next Laura Winslow. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which I'm like, by then, I don't know how relevant she was, but yeah, it's no, neither here nor there. I was holding on to it from a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you get here, and then what? What did I do when I got here? Um, I went to Target and got an air mattress because <laughs> I needed some place to lay my head. Yes. Um, and I was staying in the Inland Empire, which, Ooh, if you all know, so I was like 50... 50- yeah, it, the story gets crazier. I was living in mm. the Inland Empire because mm. for me... That was my ticket. I didn't care. She could have lived in San Francisco. (laughs) And I would have been like, it's fine. I'll just drive the 500 miles every day. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's fine. Um, So I shipped my silver wrap for, and I, the first thing I had to do was get a job and also try to find an agent and a manager. So I found a job. Guess where I found the job? In Santa Monica, California. Oh my gosh. So like, I just kept making crazy decisions. So I was driving from Upland, California to Santa Monica to work at United Colors of Benetton. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at the time, I think I was just like, I don't care. I'm in L.A. I have a job. It's fine. Like, I didn't make any money because all the money was going to gas. It. it was insane. <laughs> it was it. the craziest thing. But um, you were in the place. I was in the place. And I, at the time, this is early 2010, you could still do... Um, mailings to find representation so you would like buy the the book or whatever that mm-hmm. had like all the agents and managers in LA listed oh my God. It, yeah you would buy it and I remember I mailed to like probably 50 agents and managers mm-hmm. spent a lot of money doing that like the manila envelope the stamps the headshot stapled to the resume it was crazy and I heard back from five and I was mm-hmm. like Y'all want to rep me? <laughs> What's up? And I'll never forget, I, I, my first agent, her name was Galit Finkelstein. She was at LB Talent. I'll never forget it. Lewis and Beale Talent. It's all coming back. I haven't said this in so long. And I met with her. She's trying to go through all these like logistics. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't really care. When can I start going on auditions? And, she, and I remember I like went to go sign and she took my hand. And I was like, yes. And she said, remember, it's an uphill battle. And I was like, cool, so where do I sign? Um, But the reason I say that and the reason why I think it's relevant is because it has been. And she was right. Slow sometimes. Sometimes it feels like it's not even moving. But she was right. That was like some of the best advice I ever got because at times I do feel stagnant. I feel like I want to be moving faster. I have to remember that it's uphill, though. She didn't say, prepare yourself for a downward slope. She said, it's an uphill battle. And the truth is, life is. And I'm at a point in my journey now where 
it feels really good. It feels, it's not to say it's easy, but something about this season of my life feels very right. It has ease to it. Yeah. yeah. And actually, Nia, one of my closest friends, Nia, she gave me a, um, a daily journal um, not too long ago. She sent it to me. And for the past couple of months, I've been writing it every day. I am worthy of access and ease. I am mm. worthy of mm. access and ease. Like, because that's the type of life I want to live. And if I'm honest, it's not the life I've been living. <laughs> and I want something new. I feel like I deserve something new. And I think we're all worthy of access and ease. And flow. Right? And flow. Because you grace. wanted to, that's yeah. it. You want it to feel like you're moving in, in the direction and not against it. So, okay, you mentioned that it wasn't easy, but I want to kind of talk about some of those early challenges that you had in the beginning, because like I said, we're talking about who you had to become to get where you are today. So you're doing these drives, you're working at United Colors of Benetton, you've got Galit Finkelstein, okay? She's Shout sending, out to Galit, okay. she hears this. She's, she's giving you access yeah. to these these opportunities and these auditions. Tell me about that experience for you mentally and emotionally, because you're saying now, like you're in this space where you wish that some things would happen a little bit faster. But back then, what was that mentality that you had to just keep going, even though it was just centimeters? Oh my goodness. Because I always knew what the goal was, right? Well, let me, let me phrase that a little differently because I always knew what I wanted the goal to be. And the, and the reason I changed it is because like this wasn't a part of my goal. And I think that that's the really beautiful part about life is that God will surprise you. When I moved to LA, when I had all those dreams from when I was four to when I graduated mm -hmm. from Howard at 21, I wasn't thinking about a podcast. Nobody was even podcasting. So how could I have even dreamt mm -hmm. something as wonderful as this? But... What kept me going was, I think I've always had a knowing of my purpose. And I knew that my, a large part of my purpose has been to inspire and to do so through my art. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm learning now is to be more open to all the ways that I can do that. that yeah. I think when I moved here, it was like, I'm going to do that through acting, singing, or dancing. Because it that's was really all rigid. I've done. It was very rigid. Mm -hmm. It was, I've been talking a lot about how I'm realizing I've been blaming the world, the industry, I'm putting me in this box. And I was putting myself in the mm -hmm. box. Mm -hmm. Like I literally like went to UBS, got the box, stepped foot in it, crouched down, you know. Waiting like, for somebody to open it. Yeah, <laughs> like I put myself in a box that truthfully I, I'm realizing couldn't contain me. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to stay in there because mm -hmm. I wanted to be like everybody else. And be comfortable, be accepted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have a new approach to my career now, but up until probably a year ago, I had the wow. approach of like, I just wanted everything to be linear. I wanted to get an audition, mm -hmm. get a call back, mm -hmm. get the job, and mm -hmm. like, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be ABC, like I read in the magazines. Yep. And like, when I look back at my life, my life has never been ABC. Never. It's always been A, F, G, <laughs> Z, I. Like, it's never, it's never been linear. Mm. And sometimes you have to just look at your life and realize, what, and, and look at your history. Who are you? Yeah. Some of us in here are ABC people. And that's a blessing. 
Like, that's amazing. So many times in my life, I'm like, I wish it could just be ABC. But if I'm someone who I know has a testimony and my life is, you know, part of why I'm here is to inspire, then everything can't be ABC. It just can't be. And I'm just learning to be more comfortable with the A, B, Z, F, J life. I think the other thing that's been really consistent is tenacity. And I think it's a little different than perseverance. It's crazy because my mom, um, my great aunt, who is 90, almost 91, and the most active person in our family. She's more active than me. It's, it's insane. She goes to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. It's wild. She dates. It's crazy. Um, and um, she recently had a big life change, and she had to have part of her foot amputated. As someone who, again, is the most active person in our family, it has been really, like, shocking, most of all, for her. But today, my mom's been with her, and she sent me a picture. She sent us a picture, like our family group chatted a picture of her, and was like, Aunt Babes, she's recovering really well. The doctor says she doesn't need another surgery. Um, it looks like in three weeks, she'll be able to be back at the gym. And after that, she said, which is like a, it's like a family motto for all the women in my family. She said, you know, oh my God, it's going to make me cry. She said, and she said, Ashley and Nikina, that's my sister. She said, no matter what you're going through, remember that you come from good stock. And I do. I, like, I come from very strong women. Very strong women. My great-grandmother was a tobacco fam- farmer and put my nana and my great aunt who just had her foot amputated through college. They both got master's degrees. She did it on her own in Sutton, like rural North Carolina. My, my grandmother, my Nana then did the same thing for my mom. You know, my mom went to Howard. My Nana made sure she got through that. My mom was one of the first black women to be hired at IBM in the 1970s. And my mom then did that for us. And we've all been through a lot you know, varying levels, but I come from really good stock and I know that my tenacity comes from the women in my family. And it's like, I'm trying to get better of remembering that, remembering who I come from and whose I am. It's interesting you said that you're really grounded in all of these strong Black women. And not that, you know, I'm actually trying to get away from this strong Black woman trope, Yeah, but... I do believe that we have this strength that it's just undeniable. Yeah. So one of the roles that you played was on Dear White People and you played Joelle. And I was reading something that was so profound that you talked about growing alongside your character and the confidence that you gained and the growth that you experienced. And I would love for you to share with everyone here how that transformed you as a woman, that role, and then also the growth that you experienced during that period of time and being able to transition out of that, which isn't necessarily the easiest thing. Oh, man. Joelle, I miss her. I don't know that I've done a proper farewell. Mm. I don't know what one does to do that. I don't Mm. know how to, I don't know that I know how to do that. Mm. Because I think that maybe, maybe it's because I think 
she's always a part of me. So yeah. I don't really have to let her go. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I remember driving to set my first day and listening to, I think it's Hezekiah Walker, Grateful. Is it Hezekiah? Um, which is my favorite, it, just a little tidbit about me. Whenever I go to set on my first day, I listen to that mm. on repeat. Mm. I listen to that in, in one of my favorite gospel songs, which is called Manifest. Many, many choirs sing it. But um, anyway, I was listening to Grateful. And set was like, two miles from my house. Mm. So it was, it was really, really close. And I remember pulling up to my parking spot as my first parking spot. And I just was like, I cannot believe this. But when I think about who that, I want to call her a girl. She was a woman, <laughs> but I mean, compared to who I am now, she seems like she was like a little, <laughs> like the four-year-old Ash. Um, Joelle helped me. It, that experience in, in playing the role of Joelle Brooks helped me to get to ABFJ. Mm. Like when I started Dear White People, I was ABF. Mm. I was nowhere close to ABFJ. Like not even kind of close to that. Um, and, you know, Dear White People taught me and, and playing Joelle taught me how, how big I can be, how impactful I can be. Mm how important I am and that the characters I play should be. Um, it really, honestly, in so many ways, it set the groundwork for the types of roles that I want to take now. I, I, I sometimes joke like, I can't just do anything after doing Dear White People. You know what I mean? Like I was on, I was on a show that was talking about something. Every episode, my character represented black women in 182 countries. You know, like it was so special, but during that time I sacrificed a lot. I grew a lot. I cried a lot. I laughed a lot. I learned a lot. I shed a lot. I gained a lot. Um, but my belief in myself grew and, and it permeated in other areas. Mm -hmm. My belief in myself grew and so it made me a more confident actor. Mm -hmm. um, it made me a better partner to my, at that time was not even, you know, my boyfriend, but then, you know, my now husband I had to go through it. And in the beginning, I realized now I had to go through it alone. I couldn't have been partnered. I couldn't have been living in a, with a roommate. I had to be in that little tiny studio off Lancashire. Who knows about the studio? Mm-hmm. The studio was crazy. Um, but I, I had to go through it all. And it one billion percent made me the woman I am today. It was, it was like, it, it, I almost would describe it as like my adolescence a little bit in a way. It feels like it was a part of my adolescence as it pertains to my almost 13 years of living in LA. This Black Music Month, State Farm wants to take a moment to appreciate all the ways Black music brings everyone together. From the Saturday morning soundtrack that gets the whole family cleaning the house. To the beats at the block parties that bring the whole community together. Celebrate the impact of black music this month and beyond with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So once that came to an end, did you... Whenever people go through a transition, I think there's like 
some people may experience an identity crisis or some people may experience depression. Some, you know, there's a lot of like negative emotions that can be associated with transitioning, especially because that was something that you grew in and then you grew comfortable in because it was like second nature to you. So I want to talk about the period of time immediately after that, once that was over and once the lights went down and once there was no set and it was just you. So here's the thing. I, again, things are not what you think it's going to be. So in my head, I saw it as like on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when the lights went off and we all look back and we're like, dang. And then we, you know, I slowly walked off. That is not at all what happened. Uh, like at all. I wanted it to be like that so bad, but it was the complete opposite. Um, you know, we, we wrapped in February of 2020. It was the middle of the pandemic. So we had a rap party. Well, I did like, we did one at our house. I just did like a little thing at our house. Um, it was, you know, you couldn't see nobody's faces. You couldn't hug anybody. So in a lot of ways, I think it left us all feeling like, what just happened? That was five years and four seasons of our lives. And it felt like we didn't really get to celebrate the end. And I think it kind of messed me up a little bit. I think, I think it, I wasn't able to move on in the way that I wanted to. But what I will say is that I was really confident. So I, I got off the show and was like, well, like in no time, I'm just going to be on another show. It's fine. Like, it's like, whatever. I'll just take, I'll take like a break. I'll go on a vacation or something. It's fine. And what I realized is that God didn't want me to immediately be on another show. He didn't want that. He needed me to be doing this. And if I'm honest, JP, that was really tough for me. Even though, I mean, I created Trials to Triumphs three years ago. So I always knew that I wanted to be sitting here and doing this. But when it came in place of what I thought I wanted, it didn't feel the same. And then I felt badly about that. I felt mm. bad about this blessing coming mm. that I wanted. Mm and feeling some anxiety surrounding it. Mm. And I think we all feel like that sometimes, like this good thing comes and we don't feel the way everyone thinks we should feel about it. And then we get like, we have shame surrounding it. Um, but I leaned in and I listened and I said, okay, God, this is where you want me to be now. It's not that I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be there at the time that it came. I wanted to be somewhere else. In my head, I was like, well, I'm on a show, and I'm like touring in London or something. And then um, they get, I get a call, and they're like, you have to do a podcast. And I'm like, I have to do it remote. Sorry, I'm going on a press tour for my show. Like, that's how I saw it in my head. And God was like, no, you're going to be in your office, in your house, with your door closed, and you're going to be talking to people that inspire you so that you are ready for what I have for you. And so you have a platform as you go to wherever you go and you can dig deeper with these people and bring them onto your platform. Do you want to do that, Ash? And I was like, yeah, God, I guess that, that's a little bit of a better plan, I guess. Yeah, I think you, you have the right idea. But um, it didn't come in the way that I thought it was going to. But this is the best thing that I could have been doing right now for myself and I think for my career too. So you mentioned a little bit about Destiny Advocates, mm -hmm. and I would love for you to share with everyone here what the, who those are for you, but also telling us what a Destiny Advocate is, I know. But um, during that period of time, I'm curious, 
how your destiny advocates supported you while you were transitioning into a space of the unknown. It was not what you had in mind and you had to surrender. Y'all. Let me tell y'all something. Mm. So I coined this term destiny advocates because there needed to be a term for these people in our lives. And destiny advocates for me are people that God places in your life to remind you of who you are, whose you are, and what your purpose is in times and in seasons when you just don't have the strength to do it yourself. And that's who my friends are to me. They're not just friends. Like, friends feel so, I mean, minute. It doesn't even compare to what my destiny advocates have done for me and been for me. And I mean, this is, this is the crazy thing about destiny advocates. When you're worried, they're solid. You don't go to your destiny. Your destiny advocates are not people that are sharing in the worry with you. Because they're not worried about you. Like, it's, it's just, it's, they, they'll speak things over you that you don't even believe for yourself. They're that tapped in. You don't have to ask them to pray for you. They're like, duh. Already done. What do you mean? Um, hello? You know, they are praying for things and putting things into the universe that you couldn't even come up with yourself. Um, and in this season and in every season of my life, but particularly this season, it's just been so nice to not have people be worried about me because I've been so worried about myself. I can't imagine where I would be if the, if my, the closest people in my life were like, yeah, girl. Ooh. I agree, September might not be a good month for you. I don't know. Maybe you should go into hiding or something. Maybe you should just quit. I don't know. Like that would be insane. And so they keep me lifted, but they also keep me grounded. And I think both can be true at the same time. Um, and I truly owe it all to my destiny advocates. I owe it all. I will, all, when I'm accepting my Emmy, my Oscar, my whatever, Tony, Grammy, whatever I'm getting, they will be thanked, period. Because I don't want there to be any confusion about who's had my back and who supported me and who's believed in me when I just was too tired to do so for myself. Believing in yourself can be taxing. Everybody in here wants something. And everybody in here has things that they want that they don't have yet. And to think about that all the time and to be trying to figure out ways of how you're going to get it all the time is exhausting. And sometimes you have to check out and say, God, you got it. Destiny Advocates, I hope y'all got me. And when they do, you're good. Is your husband one of your destiny advocates? He is the destiny advocate. 
Yeah. I love it. And and the cool thing about D is that he always has been. Mm. No matter what season we've been through, that mm. never wavered. Mm. He was always my biggest fan. Mm. He always showed up. It's really a blessing to have purposeful partnership in your yeah. life. Um, so you said that you had the idea for Trials of Triumphs three years ago? Yeah. Was it? So tell me about three years ago versus the reality of, of how this all came about. It's very simple. I was twiddling my thumbs, minding my business. And uh, Mike, my manager called me and was like, hey, he, Mike is, he loves a random idea. He'll call me randomly with all sorts of things. He was like, hey, I had an idea. I'm like, what's up, Mike? He's like, I think you should do a podcast. And I was like, Mike, that's insane. <laughs> Who would listen to my podcast and what is it about? Mm. He's like, I don't know. That's for you to figure out. Bye. <laughs> and that's literally how the call went. And I was like, my, how, what? Like, that's it? <laughs> and I had some time on my hands. So I was like, well, I mean, I can't hurt anything to just, I guess, drum up some ideas. This is before your London press tour. So yes, you were like, yes, 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 yeah. So I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um... I, I'm someone who, as a content creator, it's kind of weird and kind of backwards, but I come up with names for things first. Names, some people have visions, some people have the first line of something, some people have, uh, you know, the end of a script or whatever. But for me, it's always like the title. That's it's always, always the like, hardest though. So that's so interesting. Yeah, the that's title the always, yes, the title. And so Trials to Triumphs came to me. And I was like, I like that. What's that about? Well, what, what are we doing on there? And, um, you know, really, JP, I created the podcast that I wanted. I am so inspired by the trials in people's lives. Because to me, that's where you grow. That's where you, like, are becoming who you, you want to be. That's, that's where all the gems are. And the people along my journey that have imparted their, you know, told me about their trials and imparted wisdom about their trials to me, I'm, I'm so grateful to. And I wanted to bring that to the world. I wanted to talk about how we all have a trials to triumphs journey. And you, we'll keep having them. That's the thing. I, 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 on the podcast, I ask people, like, what do you feel like is like the biggest trials to triumphs moment? And it's, if I were to catch up with these people in a couple, they're, they're going to have another one. Sometimes they're back to back. Sometimes you go through a trial and at the end of the day, it's a triumph. You're like, woo, I got through that one fast. Thank God, because the last one was five years long. Yeah, you know. Um, but I created the podcast that I wanted. And again, I wanted to inspire. And I knew that this would do that. And I created a pitch. And I tried to get guests for the show in the beginning, you know, because I wanted to do a pilot. It was actually really difficult you know, people are busy. And then I called up my friend, Justin Simeon. And he was like, yeah, what time? Where, where do we go? And I was like, huh? He was like, yeah, I got time. Like literally it, it was, it was that easy. Ease. And we created a pilot. And then in December of 2020, I did like an Instagram live about, um, manifestation maps, which to me is like the upgraded version of a vision board. 
And so many people were like, oh my God, you need your own show. Oh my God, this was amazing. And I was like, in a moment of transparency, which at the time I wasn't doing this. I've always been a very vulnerable and transparent person, but I was never the person at that time to like go on Instagram and be like, hey, I need help here. I need this. I just didn't do that on social media. Um, But something told me to do it that day. And I did. The post was, I was like, listen guys, I have a show, but I don't really know what to do with it. And it's kind of not shelved, but I was like, it's kind of, you know, just I'm waiting for somebody to give me an opportunity with it. And I got so many responses. So many people were like, I know this person at this place. I know that person. And um, a young lady I know that went to Howard with me, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I work at OWN. And they're, they're looking to expand, you know, their podcast slate. I'll see if I can get you a meeting. And I was like, Oprah own? Yeah. Yeah, please. Like, no what, brainer. What do you need? I will send my materials. And I want to say a day or two before the meeting, she hits me up and is like, hey, so um, bad news. I'm going to Spotify. And I was like, what? So I'm like, oh my God, this is my in. Like now, this is never going to happen now. This is January, 2021. And she's like, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Someone really good is like stepping in. And it happened to be my friend Fatima. We were friends. She, I knew she worked at OWN. She worked in Unscripted. And I was like, again, a trial to a triumph that happened real fast. It was a real, it was, it was a, it was a fast one. And by January of 2022, we were off to the races. Did it get easier once you solidified that partnership to start booking guests? Oh yeah. yeah. But honestly, in the beginning, I was sending Instagram messages and almost everybody said yes, instantaneously. 1000%. Kelly was not the only one. Like so many people are like, of course, what do I do? Where do I? Like I, I was flabbergasted. But again, when you're walking in your purpose, people will show up because the thing about when you're walking your purpose is contagious. People want to support that. And if people don't, then they're haters, right? You don't concern yourself with those people, but I'm attracted to people that are walking in their purpose. I want to support their purpose too. And, and I really feel like that's what people were doing for me. And, and if I'm honest, I was so worried. Part of my fear, my friends know, I was like, but people are going to be like, she's doing a podcast? I, I was expecting a, another TV show on Netflix. I had some, I felt weird about it. But honestly, people are like, what else would you be doing? Of course you're doing this. It was me. Again, I'm ta- it was that box. I was putting myself in a box that nobody else, nobody in this room was trying to put me in that box but myself. Because your podcast is all about people remembering, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. remember those moments when you made it through something. Remember a time where you had a trial. Remember your triumphs. And so I wanted to ask you if you could end this with talking to the Ashley that moved to Inland Empire and what you would say to her. Oh, wow. It's funny. Ashley, this makes me think of what you sent me. It's Frank Ocean writing a letter to himself five years prior, and it blew my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so inspired by this. So I think it's really kismet that you're asking me because I've been trying to figure out what I would say to myself. And now I'm on the spot, so I got to figure it out. I think I would say you're doing it. Your dreams are real. They weren't a figment of your imagination. Your life has always meant what you wanted it to mean. And I would say, keep going. 
I think that's what I really need. That's what, that's the most important part. Keep going. But I need that girl to remind this woman to keep going. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you. I love you. And I honor you. I thank you. I love you. I honor you too. After the credits, I share the literary icon I can imagine sitting down with me and Jennifer Pauline. Stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. This episode was mixed by Kojin Tashiro. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. Special thanks to Jennifer Pauline, Erica Tucker, Amber Melvisha, and Mike Smith for organizing the live event at the Gathering Spot in Los Angeles. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. So during the live event, we had questions from the audience. A lot of them were about or from other Howard University alum. So this week for our Sankofa moment, I want to tell you about a Howard alumna that I'd love to sit down with and hear about her professional journey, Toni Morrison. I wish we still had Toni Morrison with us before our Sankofas, we try to talk about figures from the past. And this is an artist I could not love more. I talked about my journey creating this podcast and feeling like this was content I wanted to hear and that I hope inspires folks around me to pursue their purpose in life. One of Toni Morrison's famous quotes is, if there's a book you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. I resonate so deeply with this quote. Thank you, Toni. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. This Black Music Month, State Farm wants to take a moment to recognize the undeniable cultural influence of Black musicians, composers, singers, and songwriters. From folk music to rock and roll, jazz, and more, Black culture has shaped almost every genre of music that exists today. Join State Farm in celebrating this month and beyond. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.